You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Welcome to Aging Starts Now, episode number 19, where we talk about durable powers of attorney. My co-host today is certified elder law attorney and author of Elder Law Practice in Tennessee, Timothy Takis. He and I will chat about a common estate planning document, the power of attorney. Hi, Tim. Hey, Barb. We draft these documents every day for our clients, and they're supposed to make getting business done for someone else easier. So how does that really work? What what types and of documents are there? Well, they're basically essentially two types. Um, I mean, broadly speaking, two types. One of them is either it's either springing, which means that it does not go into effect until the person that makes the power of attorney is disabled or incapacitated. Mm-hmm. Or the second type is a durable power of attorney where the authority that you're giving to your attorney, in fact, is effective immediately. That's that's a non-springing power of attorney. Why would you pick one over the other? Well, there are people that think that, uh, well, if I, I don't really want to give someone, I don't want to give away my authority to act for myself until I become disabled or incapacitated because hey, isn't that what a durable power of attorney is for? When I become disabled or incapacitated, someone will be able to step in and pay my bills. I mean, and that sounds like it's uh, maybe a good idea. Instead of giving someone um, that that power effective immediately. But when you stop to think about it, um, how, how difficult is it going to be to prove that someone is disabled or incapacitated? So, you know, which is what you'd have to do if it's a springing power. So to give you an example, you have an older person that says, well, I, I, I want to make, sh- you know, I don't want to give anybody my authority until, I, until they need to exercise it. So how do you how do you determine that that person that older person or whoever it is is disabled or incapacitated how can you do you need a doctor's letter you know what is the um how can you prove that uh will a bank or a financial institution accept your proof in in other words although it may sound like a good idea to have a springing power you know in practice it really does not work out very well it adds an extra extra not just barrier, but burden to the person that's functioning as the agent or the attorney, in fact. A- absolutely. Right. You know, so that, you're not trying to make it difficult for anybody, especially for yourself. Right. And I think one of the reasons that people think a springing power of attorney is a good idea is because they don't recognize that they're not giving up authority. They're just sharing authority. Right. Um, and they think they're actually giving away all the power. And that's not really the case. So usually 
uh, when I'm talking with, with someone about that, I can explain and they recognize that the immediate authority is much more conducive to actually conducting business, especially and if you trust the person that you're naming. And I would never recommend naming someone I didn't absolutely trust to have that authority anyway, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and I because know we've talking about yeah. powers. What all powers can you do with a power of attorney? Well, basically, you can do you can grant the authority to do anything that you could do except for there's maybe one or two or three for one you can't you can't authorize someone to vote for you okay. you can't authorize someone to enter into a, into a marriage contract for you that's good so i think there may be one or two others if i can you know but um, but those are the those are the primary ones that i can think of yeah. Or actually, you can't you can't authorize someone to provide you know to do a contract for personal services for you, you know. So let's say, for instance, you're a um, uh, you're a scientist and you are perform- performing services for an employer. You can't you you can't delegate someone or authorize someone to provide those services for your employer. I mean, that's just kind of stuff that sort of like common sense. Yeah, some esoteric kind of things, but basic right. powers, banking, basic. bill pay, dealing with real estate, um, even paying taxes for sure, even things like um, managing investment accounts, those kind of mm-hmm. basic powers. But even the basic powers get into some things that people don't really realize, the authority to uh, initiate a, a lawsuit and that's going to come up in a minute when we're talking about folks that don't honor powers of attorney, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. But there's extraordinary powers we use too. Right. You and the biggest one is, yeah, it, the biggest, the the most important of the extraordinary powers uh, is the power to gift. You know, in other words, um, you're literally what you're doing or legally what you're doing when you are authorizing a, an attorney, in fact, to give away your assets. That's an extraordinary power because those because the that the essence of a, of a of a of a durable power of attorney and the person that's acting for you is they're acting and you're supposed to act in your best interest. It's a fiduciary obligation that they have for you. Mm-hmm. You know, and the power to give away your assets is that's why it's called an extraordinary power because typically you know that that is in a sense that's that's in direct contradiction or contravention you know if, if with that fiduciary obligation so for so why would you want to give so why would you want to give powers away or why would you want to give your money or property away barb well we often use it in planning for public benefits Um, that's what comes to my mind first, whether it's funding a trust and some type of asset protection trust and we're giving assets to the trust or whether we're giving it outright to our children or to a spouse. That's, uh, That's frequently how we use that gifting power. And along with that gifting power, um, you also have to include the power to self-deal, which means that you may be the agent that's the recipient of the gift. 
common, you know, again, that makes sense if you're looking at the overall plan for a person and we're looking at giving an asset to a spouse or giving an asset to an intended heir, someone usually that you've already made gifts to during your lifetime. Um, I know as a as an only child, I've received numerous gifts from my parents and it's just it's usual. It's, it's a part of the way we deal with each other. And so some family dynamics kind of plays into that as well. I think the ability to continue to make charitable gifts even um, may be important to that principle that that continues on. So what's the problem if we don't have gift giving and a power of attorney? I mean, what what are the conse- what, what are the negative consequences? Because what you're saying is, you know, you're, you you reference making gifts to your spouse, and it's like, um, why wouldn't I gift to my spouse? You mean I have um, to have a special power in my power of attorney to do that? And if you if you do not have that, if you don't include those gifting authorities and gifting up to the annual federal tax exit exemption limit is is really insufficient that's just a that's a token gift now with it it's only fifteen thousand dollars a year now if you can't have the power you don't give that power to make gifts then if you're in a position where we are trying to plan for public benefits or we're just planning to continue to care for someone that we're obligated to care for you're you're um, you're going to be very limited in what you can actually do. You can spend but not gift. And it might be one of the reasons that you, you would have to seek some court um, some court involvement, which is something else that we really try to avoid. I mean, the whole point of having a power of attorney is so that you can conduct business for another and not have to seek court involvement. That's what I, I mean. That's part of what I think the point, point of having a power of attorney is all about. And certainly our experience has been that you're probably not going to be able to convince a judge that uh, walking into a courtroom as the child and saying, well, daddy wants to give me his money. Judge, would you let me, uh, would you, would you enter an order that allows him to do that? Well, certainly some judges in some circumstances, that's a hard sell. But if you're talking about maybe a disabled child, even right. you have to have that authority in your power of attorney to do that as well. So exactly, mm-hmm. lots of um, lots of things to think about, but not take lightly. One of the things that I know we don't ordinarily include in our durable general power of attorney is, is healthcare powers. We uh, separate those into two documents, but you can include them all in one if you really wanted to, right? Mm, right. I don't, I don't like that, but that's just, that's sometimes you want it to be a different person. Yeah. Uh, even if you want it to be the same person, um, the point of having a durable power, any of these powers of attorney, you know, is, is to convince some third party, you know, that, that you, who is the attorney, in fact, you know, have authority to act for your principal. So, um, Another reason that we like to separate the healthcare power of attorney from the, those powers from the other financial powers is hospitals don't care about the financial power, and maybe they don't really need to see all of that. Right. Um, you know, and, mm-hmm. No, I was just going to say, you know, that brings up 
convincing a third party that you have the authority to act for the principal. I think a lot of times married couples assume they have the authority to act for each other. That can be problematic, right? That's true. Au contraire, it doesn't work that way. Because if it did, you got a lot of people who are going through a divorce or something like that that is going to be are going to be very worried about it. <laughs> yeah. So even I mean, just if you're because married, you're married to somebody, doesn't mean that they have authority to act for you. So even if you're married, you need um, the power of attorney document to give you authority to do certain ac- actions. Right. All right. So let's just jump into one of the one of the problems or the difficulties that folks that are trying to use a power of attorney to conduct business like it's intended to. Sometimes banks or financial institutions kind of throw up a brick wall. They don't like it. What do you say to them? Well, after I kind of get over it, um, a lot of times what. What, what financial institutions will do is, is that they will come, they will ask the person, to, well, go back to your lawyer and have the lawyer write a letter that says that, um, that, the, that, that the power of attorney is still in existence. Yeah, and, and that's always been sort of interesting to me because, um, you know, I, we can write that letter and we'll do that, you know, we do that regularly if we need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but frankly, what we write has no legal effect because the Tennessee statute, and I'm sure maybe others, other, you know, other states as well do it the same way, that they have a procedure that allows the, uh, the financial institution to get, say, an affidavit from the attorney, in fact, the person that's named, you know, under the power of attorney, to basically sign a document that says, yeah, this is really in existence, you know, and under Tennessee law, that's all that a bank needs. Of course, the banks are worried because they, you know, they obviously or, or presumably they think, well, what about the other ones that are out there? There's probably a half a dozen of them. How do I know, you know, that this is genuine? So I'll go to the lawyer. You know, when frankly, uh, when you when you stop and think about it, um, yeah, maybe we wrote, maybe we drafted that power of attorney. Maybe we did it five years ago or 10 years ago, but there's no reason for us to know, you know, that the person who's maybe not our client any longer has not changed it. So it's just very interesting to me, uh, you know, why um, banks don't talk to their legal departments more often. So I think, again, it's trying to convince a third person that you have power to act on behalf of someone else and you're you're promising that this is the valid document, or at least to the best of your knowledge. Is there a way to double check? What about recording? I think recording would be a way of double checking. And I mean, recording the d- instrument in the county uh-huh. of residence, right? To see if there's something that's been recorded subsequent to. Sure. You know, and, and I guess that's one way to do it, but you know, I don't know that that's, um, uh, a, a power of attorney doesn't have to be recorded. It doesn't hurt to do that. Right. Um, I'm not even sure that, you know, if it's recorded in a subsequent instrument is 
say, then executed, you know, which one has a, you know, which one has priority? Does the earlier recorded instrument have priority or does the later unrecorded instrument, you know, have priority? My assumption would be, because I'm not sure that we know what the case law says on that is, is that a financial institution have, would have a right to um, rely on the recorded instrument, you know, yeah. even if there's a subsequent one. Well, then that may be, and that may be just a, a an easy, that's an easy fix if that actually works. Yeah. But it still doesn't work with government instances entities like Social Security or the Veterans Administration. They don't care what we do with our civil powers of attorney. They want their own document. Um, exactly. So, And don't ask us why. Yeah, exactly. Just they have their own way of getting that taken care of. That's right. Uh, title companies can also be problematic with, uh, especially when it comes to the gifting and the self-dealing. And we've spent a lot of time dealing with them. What else should we say about powers of attorney before we wrap up, Tim? I'm just thinking about, you know, one of the common things that we see are um, multiple powers of attorney. I shouldn't say multiple powers of attorney. I should say uh, multiple uh, co-attorneys, in fact. And we're going to call them attorneys, in fact, because that's what they are. Right. Um, they're not an attorney at law. They're an attorney, in fact, under that document. Um, we see that from, from actually more often than we want to. You know, where a, a you know a, a client walks in or a family member walks in for their loved one and say, "Well, Daddy did a power of attorney," f- you know, and he named, you know, me and my sister and my brother and or everybody else in the family or something, and so. What happens is, is that you put a financial institution in a position of, well, is it and or is it or? Um, Do I have to get everybody to agree or just one of the committee, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So essentially what's done is, is that a financial institution, they're going to take the safe course because their customer is the, you know, is the person that, um, you know, that's their money. You know, and somebody's wandering into their office and says, uh, "You know, can, I need to I need to pay my daddy's bills. Let me see your. You know, here's my power of attorney, and it's got four names on it. Mm. You know, and I understand a financial institution's reluctance to say, "Well, who's in charge here?" Because that's ultimately what it what it comes down to. You know, and so it's the frankly, you know, it's it's the lawyer's job to counsel the client. You know, that um, it's not about disrespecting a spouse or disrespecting the oldest child or something else. What you really want to do is you want to name the person that is most likely to be able to carry out what you want. You know, whether that person is uh, in the same town or across the across the country or whatever. Mm hmm. Yeah. And then and then and then you have a clear line of authority in the document that says, well, if my son, John Jones, you know, is unable or unwilling to serve, you know, then the second person is my daughter, um, Mary Smith or whatever, you yeah. know, and that gives at least some clear line of authority for, a, for anybody that has to rely on that power of attorney. 
I mean, that's that's the whole point here is is that you're trying to get someone else, some unrelated third party, to be convinced that that person that is in front of you has the authority. That's the that's really what it's about. Well, and it sometimes can be harder to do than than it is to say. Harder. Mm-hmm. Harder to do than say. Yeah, I guess that's the right way yeah. to say that. Anyway, right. Um, I think yeah, we wish ready. it was easier, but yeah, exactly. Well, I think we're ready to say goodbye. All right. Wrap this up. Thank you for listening. Tune in again to Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com? Document downloads, the Take Us McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness. 